Psalm 16. A psalm is written by David, who was a king in Israel. And it's like a, a prayer or a song of someone pouring out their heart in the middle of a difficult situation to the God that they trust. Psalm number 16. David writes or cries from his heart, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Is resurrection relevant? I'll save you some of the suspense and let you know from the start. The answer to that is yes, yes it is. But allow me to show you this evening why that's so. We're looking at Psalm 16 together. It's on page 453. And if you have your Bibles open there, that'll be helpful. As you find your place as well, let me draw your attention to the the sermon outline that's in the, the handout you're given on your way in. You'll see there are two headings, secure in God and confident for the future. And both of these things really are tied up with resurrection, secure in God and confident for the future. To be genuinely secure, regardless of our circumstances, and to be confident for the future, whatever life brings our way, sounds like an incredibly attractive life, doesn't it? I'm sure it's a life that every one of us would like to have, and it's a life which the Bible says is on offer to everyone and anyone who believes. Let me pray for us briefly before we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Easter. Thank you for the good news that is Easter. We pray now as we look at your word, you would give us soft hearts, listening ears. Help us to hear you speak and to respond appropriately to all that you have done. We commit ourselves and our time to you. Amen. So this this psalm primarily is about a person who finds his security in God. Such a person will be secure now and will be confident for the future. Confident that God's care and provision will go on even beyond this life. Confident we'll see even in the face of death. And wouldn't we all like to have that for ourselves? I'm sure we would. And the fact is we can. So we're going to see how. Have a look again at verse 1. 
Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So Psalmist David takes refuge in God. It's evident he's, he's in some sort of need because he cries out, preserve me. And in his time of need, he looks to the one place that he knows he will get help. He looks to the one in whom he takes refuge, to his God. And it sounds, it sounds simple enough, but in many respects, it is absolutely key that we put this first step first. Because all of the good things which we're going to see which follow in this psalm, security, even contentment in this life, confident for the future, confident even in the face of death, all of these things stem from the writer's relationship with God. God is his refuge and he is secure in God. So it might be worth asking, what is, what is refuge? It's security, really, isn't it? It's, it's safety. That's what we mean when we talk about refuge. It's a place of safety where, where we're protected from things that might otherwise harm us. Consider how a baby chick finds refuge. It's under its mother's wing. Or in David's day, a traveler would find refuge in a city, a city with walls, because by and large, you'd be a whole lot safer in than out. Refuge at heart is just that. It is security. And the psalmist here, King David, states right from the get-go that his security is in God. And there's an implicit challenge there, actually. A challenge there for each one of us, and that's to ask ourselves, where is our security? What are we trusting in? There's all manner of places that we can look to find security. Like in the opinions of others. Perhaps we think, I'm doing okay as long as most people think well of me. Or in our self-esteem, I'll be fine as long as I keep a positive outlook on life. Or perhaps in a job, in financial security, we think that everything will be okay as long as we've got enough money to provide for the type of life that we want to live that will make us happy. Or maybe even for some of us, it's in our family. So long as they're okay, we're okay. Now, none of, these, none of these are bad things, but if we take time to reflect on each of them, can any of them provide us with the solid foundation that we need? Can any of them provide us with a lasting security, with a security that will stand up in the face of anything? If I'm reliant on the opinions of others, what happens when they turn against me? If I'm reliant on my own self-esteem, what happens if I have a bad day or a bad week? or a bad year. Jobs will come and go. Money will run out. Even our closest family and friends are not perfect. They're frail just like us. They might let us down. They might not be all that we need. They might not always be there. Many of you in here will know, either from first-hand experience or from seeing someone you're close to go through it, many of you will know what it's like to lose a job, to have failing health, to be let down by someone that you'd put your trust in. And you know that you can't find security in these things. It's not there. Admittedly, there may be some of you in here who that's not been your life experience. Perhaps everything's going all right. You're still young, healthy, affluent, happy. Maybe all things in your life are going quite well at the moment. But even if that is the case, will any of these things really last? Will any of them last? 
Your bank balance isn't going to mean a huge amount to you when you die. Your standing in the community is not going to continue once you're gone. Think about it, really. Of all the things which you value, which you put your security and trust and confidence in, will any of them last? Your money, your job, relationships, self-esteem, the esteem with which others hold you, they will not last, and they will not keep you secure. So David here starts this psalm with a healthy dose of realism. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And he does that because it's hopeless to look anywhere else for security. Nowhere, nothing, and no one else will do. God alone is a lasting refuge. We will not be secure in the present if we haven't taken refuge in God. We cannot be confident for the future if we have not taken refuge in God. God must come first. Now, the psalm goes on, and we see that David's security in God leads him to a deep contentment with what God has given him, a contentment which continues even when times are tough. Remember, it starts with a cry, preserve me, a contentment which continues even when times are tough because God has given him all that he needs. He's secure, not in his circumstances, but in his God. Have a look again at verses 2 and following. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. David is content with what God has given him. He's content with his God. He's content with his people. He's content with his inheritance. It's all from God. It's all for David's good. And it's all that he needs. Not only all that he needs, it's actually much more than he needs. He is secure in his God. You might have noticed the order. The first thing he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Because such is David's love for his God that it's as if there's nothing else in his life that's even worth having. There is no good apart from God. I wonder if we really feel that. If we feel that really, if all we had were God, he would be more than sufficient for us. Because that's what David's saying here. Compared to him, there's nothing else worth having. If you're like me, it's probably the case that you don't often feel that. It's probably the case that much of the time, maybe even most of the time, you go running after all sorts of other things to find contentment, to find security, and you forget. You forget that God is enough. Your relationship with God is the greatest blessing you can have. It's your greatest good. Relationship with God endures. Now, the psalm goes on. It's true to say God alone is enough for us, but God in his abundant provision has given us so much more. Did you know that God is for your joy? God is pro-Christian joy. I know many of us in here are Scottish, but you're allowed to smile at that. The fact is, God doesn't just give us this kind of security that a burglar alarm would give us. God gives us the kind of security that a loving and perfect father, who in all circumstances is working for our good, gives us. He's given us his people. He's given us other Christians, people who we can share life with, we can live in community with, people, the psalm says, who we can even delight in. 
And what's more, God's people help me to enjoy God. So I can say, God is good. Delight in the saints, the way that we see in this psalm, is really just another expression of a delight in God. It's delighting in his people because they are his people. And so it's a delight in God. It's maybe worth asking then, what does the love of God's people for God's people actually look like? How does it work out? It looks like the love of Jesus. It looks like the love of Jesus who humbled himself and took the lowest place, who gave his very self for us. It's a love which puts the interests of others first. Because as God's people, we're like God. God delights in his people, and so do we. Do you see something of how, how wonderfully attractive a community of Christians is? A community where people are not out for themselves, but they are out for you. And I mean that in a good way, of course. They're out for you in a good way. Let's turn to verses 5 and (laughs) 6. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. What David's expressing here is is the fact that, that not only does God make known his abundant provision by giving us himself and giving us his people, but in fact, every good thing is a gift from God. The place where David lives is a gift from God. Every circumstances of his, every circumstance of his life is from God, and with that he is content. So we bring that forward, bring that forward to us now. What does it look like? What happens when I don't feel like I have a beautiful inheritance? Or what if the boundary lines haven't fallen in pleasant places for me? I think that's a difficult question for some of you because maybe that your life is difficult at the moment. But if we look at this psalm, we have to look at where the source of this contentment was. We need to be ever mindful. The source of this contentment starts with security in God. David's contentment was never in the circumstances of his life. It was in his God, because his life was not easy. Perhaps for some of you, it feels like your life isn't easy. David had people pursuing him to kill him. One of David's own sons tried to lead a rebellion against him. The point of saying that is David, when he writes this, is not, he's not talking like some deluded person who has no knowledge of what real life is like. David, when he wrote this psalm, was writing timeless truths about God, his God, who he knew well and had made his security. So we have another question. What does it look like for us in everyday life, 2015? What does it look like to be content that Jesus is enough? If he is enough, what does that look like? Well, one thing it might mean for us, or one thing it does mean rather, is that money isn't the be-all and end-all. You don't need that perfect job to be satisfied in God. You don't need it to be secure. Work's only going to last 40 years or so anyway, which is not that long compared to eternity, is it? And because you're not living for money, because Jesus really is enough, it means that you don't need to cheat on that test. It means you don't need to tell that half-truth at the job interview. It means you don't need to participate in the questionable behavior at the work night out. Because Jesus says enough, you needn't be dependent on the opinions of others to be content, nor be embarrassed about being a Christian. You don't need to compromise on your faith for the sake of fitting in, because Jesus is enough. 
The fact is you'll never find security in the opinions of others. I'm sure we all know that. You won't find it there. And in the last case, it's only the opinion of Jesus which really matters. So the content we see in this psalm, we've said again and again, it begins with finding security in God. But we do have to be frank and honest with that because if you're looking for security, there is nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. The way we get that now, security in God for us, is found through trusting in Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' finished work, which he accomplished on the very first Easter when he died and rose again. It's because of his death and his resurrection to new life that our sins can be forgiven, that our relationship with God can be made right, and that we can be made secure, unshakable, everlastingly safe. To be secure in Christ, we need to trust in him alone, in him alone to save us. You see, David, when he sought refuge, he sought refuge because he needed saving. And we all have that same need of being saved. We need to be saved from our sin, from the consequences of it. And to be everlastingly secure, we need to be made right with the one who is everlasting, with God. Now, the way we take hold of that is we trust in Christ. We trust in Christ for what he has done that we could not do. We trust in Jesus Christ, who was given over to death for us and who rose from the grave for us. We're told elsewhere in the Bible that he was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. He was put to death for our sins, and he was raised up to make us right with God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is relevant for all of us today because it is proof that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient to save us. Jesus wasn't any old sinner dying for his own sins. He was the sinless one giving himself for our sins to forgive us them all, to give us eternal life with God, absolute security, confidence for the future, and never-ending joy. What Jesus did on the cross was enough for all of that. Money won't give you security. You can't take it with you. Perfect job will not matter when life comes to an end. Our security can only come from that position of being in a right relationship with God. And for us now, that is solely through what Jesus Christ has done. So if God is our refuge, we'll be secure in life. That's the first thing that we see in this psalm. We'll be secure in life. Secondly, if God is our refuge, we can be confident for the future. Not just for the rest of our lives, but beyond. We can be confident for the future. If you turn over the page and follow with me from verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Just think about that. What a wonderful end point this psalm leads us to. Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And Who wouldn't want that? Perhaps you've sometimes thought that God sounds boring, like he's he's a bit of a killjoy, actually, and maybe the prospect of spending forever with him does not appeal to you in the slightest. But if you let our picture of God be shaped by this psalm, you, you can't come to that conclusion. It's not the case that he's a boring killjoy at all. Notice the tone. We've got rejoicing, 
fullness, pleasures forever. They don't end. David enjoys God. And it's not because he's a religious weirdo. It's because God is that good. God is that good. And we can enjoy him. God is for the joy of his people forever. He made you. He loves you. He knows what you need to be perfectly fulfilled. And what each one of us needs is God. If we look anywhere else, we're getting second best, or maybe even less. Now, some of you might be asking, isn't that all too good to be true? It sounds great, but is it too good to be true? I'll come back to that. But let me, first of all, build up for you a picture of what it is that David is saying here. We can see clearly there's a link in David's mind between his confidence for the future and his secure position in God. Verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And it's this, this unshakableness, this profound confidence for the future, is based on David's secure relationship to God. The verses that follow, we see, we see extravagant language talking about his confidence. We see that his whole being rejoices, not just part of him. Every bit of his being rejoices in his confidence. He's confident that he will not see corruption. He will not go to Sheol. He's talking about death. David does not fear death because the Lord is at his right hand and he will not be shaken. I wonder if you're completely honest with yourself. Which of you can really say that you don't fear death? Why is it that we fear it? Does it not surprise you that given it's one of the very few things that every one of us shares, no one ever speaks about it? Perhaps it's the unknown that we fear. Perhaps it's the fact that, so far as we can tell, all that we do know in death will come to an end. How can we face death without fear? How can you face your death without fear? Well, what if death wasn't an end of all that we love? What if the thing which we valued most was to last even beyond death? If our security is in God, if we have taken refuge in him, then death is not the end. In death and beyond death, we will not lose what we value most. You don't lose God when you die. He will not let you go, and you will be with him forever. So coming back to that earlier question, is all of this a bit too good to be true? Because there's some historical facts here. David lived 3,000 years ago, and David died. And every one of his descendants died, and every one of us will too. So what is he talking about? What's he going on about? If you turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. If you've got a church Bible, it's on page 910, book of Acts chapter 2. And what's happening here, just to put it in context, the apostle Peter is preaching, and it's not long after Jesus has been resurrected and has ascended to heaven. And... Peter in his psalm quotes part of Psalm 16, in his sermon rather, quotes part of Psalm 16, and then he goes on to say this, chapter 2, verses 29 and following. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. 
This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. The fact is, when David died, it may well have looked like Psalm 16 simply wasn't true, because David's body did see corruption. He ended up in the grave. But David did not write only of himself. The Apostle Peter tells us here he was writing as a prophet, and he was writing of the Christ, the Holy One, who really would not see decay at all. David died and was buried. Christ defeated death. He rose again because death had no hold over him. And if we have taken refuge in him, if our security is in Christ, then death has no hold over us. That's why you can be secure now. That's how you can have confidence for the future, even in the face of death, because Jesus Christ has gone before us and has made a way. David spoke of a a wonderful assurance of, of life forevermore with God in his presence where there is fullness of joy. And Christ's resurrection authenticates that confidence. Christ's resurrection is like God's stamp of approval that what David spoke of was true. We don't need to just rely any longer on the words of the Old Testament promises, incredible though they are, because we have more. We have the evidence of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Evidence about facts, about historical events which happened. Not vague religious ideas or crazy notions. Evidence about what happened. What happened then, which makes a difference now and forever. The death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Death in our place, bearing our sin. Resurrection to new life, conquering our greatest enemies, sin and death. Because whatever else we might run after in life, wherever else we might seek security or contentment, the thing that we need more than anything else is to have our relationship with God restored. Because it's been broken by sin and we cannot fix it by ourselves. But Christ died. Christ died for people like us. Sinners in need of rescue. Sinners who need a refuge because without Christ, we're not safe. In Christ, that is trusting in his death for us, we're completely safe. We are completely secure. With him at our right hand, we shall not be shaken. So that's what's on offer to us all this Easter. If you're already a convinced Christian, then take heart. Be reminded of all that you have already in Christ. There's no other refuge. You're secure in him and only in him. There's nowhere else to go. You can be content. You don't need that perfect job or car or house or spouse. You don't need to live for the approval of others. You don't need to be tossed to and fro by your ever-rising and falling self-esteem. You're secure in Christ. And you can be confident, confident for the future, confident that whatever life brings your way, you're still secure in him. And even when death does eventually come, which it will for all of us Christians too, you will be brought into his presence eternally where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Jesus is enough. What about if you're here and you are, you're not yet a convinced Christian or you're just unsure about where you are with all these things? Well, a question that, that will help you that's quite instructive is to just ask, 
Where have you put your security? What are you trusting in? That'll show you where your heart is. Is your security lasting? Will it stand up in the face of anything? Are you confident? Are you confident to face the future, to face death? Where we need to place our security is in Christ. It's in his finished work on the cross, paying for our sin, and in his rising from the dead to make us right with God, to give us new life, because resurrection is relevant for all of us. That's why Easter really is the heart of what Christianity is about. That's how we can have security in God, relationship with him, forgiveness of all our sins, new and everlasting life. All of these available to the person who will make God their refuge. Refuge is a helpful picture to have in our minds as we close here. The person who seeks refuge is in danger. The person who seeks refuge is completely dependent on another for their safety. And the person who seeks refuge finds that refuge by coming. That's all. Come to Jesus and ask. He makes known the path of life. In his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death in our place, bearing our sin. We thank you for his resurrection to new life. We thank you that he has conquered sin and death and made a way for us to be right with you. Thank you for the abundant blessings available to all who will put their trust in the Lord Jesus. Amen.